0: It's not again like about the money, and on one hand, it sure that would have been nice, but it's more about the like learning and recognizing the situation. And so I think about that a lot with arrows, which is, and this is why we raised money is we're, just, oh, we're in a very early category that's undeveloped, doesn't really even have a name, and what do you think it's going to look like in ten or fifteen years? And we need the time to survive through that. And if we are Twilio in two thousand. or something 2007 what do we have to do now to build towards 2020 twilio one characteristic emerged as a significant predictor of success it was grit
1: yeah nice to meet you man yeah you too i feel like we've run into each other a bunch on twitter and i know your face from watching a recording of a demo that you did with somebody on my team a while oh, back I forgot about that yeah I watched it I watched it but yeah I don't remember when that was but I listened to the podcast and I've you know kind of keep up with whatever's going on on Twitter sometimes so yeah it's nice to finally meet face to face
0: yeah I actually watched a video of you earlier today for a few minutes just to have a sense of what you sounded like and looked like before we got on I know you don't want it to be like a complete
1: shock, like, whoa, that's not what I expected.
0: (laughs) So I'm a big F1 fan. And one of our investors is the GM of a product that is a major sponsor of an F1 team. I want it to be more of a surprise someday if this all comes together, which is more why I'm not saying anything about what, but I got him to get me an introduction to the founder or the CEO of one of the F1 teams that I admire and like, and I was trying to, and am still trying to get him to invest in us at some point. And we did a phone call at one point and because of the F1 show and me being a fan, I've like heard this person's voice a lot. And we get on and I literally did the dumb thing and said, oh my God, like it's eerie to, I said it to him. It's eerie to hear your voice. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I ruined everything just now, yeah. I just fucked up the whole, the whole thing. <laughs> But yeah, Yeah. so it's probably you need to mentally prepare for these sort of things.
1: Oh, yeah. My wife was doing an interview with somebody recently who she, you know, knew. We kind of like hung out a little bit probably like five years ago. So it's been a while. And then she was interviewing for a job at his company. And he gets on and his look has completely changed. Like he's got like, you know, bright white hair now like you know he was like he had brown hair before wow. now he's got white hair he's got long hair he's got all these like you know nose rings all kinds of stuff like it just kind of like kind of shocked her to even start the call and she was like oh you know it's what i mean like it just one sort
0: of, thing like longer hair it's like different color different length different everything was different everything oh my god
1: yeah he had lost a ton of weight he was like a lot skinnier he didn't even look like the same person since then i looked him up because like we hung out too and i i was like oh my gosh like yeah, he has changed, but that can definitely throw you off in a conversation when you're just thinking about the conversation and then all of a sudden you're thinking about something completely different. Yeah.
0: That's the thing about people. It's fine if you do that as long as you know and you're willing to acknowledge it. I think like, you know, just if you recognize that this is all weird and we're all kind of in the same boat, you know, you might not have seen exactly. each other or we not, you know, it's fine to meet people off Twitter. And like this conversation is a perfect example of that of like, yeah, it's fun who cares? We don't need to make it into a, it doesn't have to be something that is an unacknowledged weird thing. Exactly.
1: And you can keep it kind of casual as long as the other person is not like, you know, has like a giant ego. Like sometimes I'll have, you know, you have coffee with those people where it's just like immediately, you know, you're just like, oh, I can't be like casual. Like I can't just have a normal conversation with this person, but I can already tell you're not that way. So well, I have no, nothing to
0: uh, <laughs> to have a giant ego about, so let's... I do have an ego, just <laughs> yeah, not a giant one. Me
1: either. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Well, cool. Yeah, it's nice to finally meet up. You know, like I said, I've been a big fan of the podcast and just I know you're pretty open with like a lot of the things that you guys have done and, you know, I think we've almost raised a couple times and so we, like when you guys were raising... We were paying attention to that a ton because we were like, yeah, like, I don't know, we've gone through so many ups and downs of like, and I'm sure you guys went through that before you did it. But like, we've gone through so many back and forths of like, okay, yeah, I I think we should. And then we'll we'll get right up to that point, you know, the the and then we're like, no, I don't think we should. So we just changed our minds all the time. And I don't know if we've really figure
0: it out at this point but yeah that we was should like a big... talk about the podcast too like our podcast and why we do it so much less these days i think that that yeah. intersects with the raising conversation i think it's a lot harder now to talk about everything we'd want to talk about publicly given that we're in like a very competitive market and people kind of listen to it not that many people but enough people and we've had one or two copycat sort of things pop up and the stuff we want to talk about is higher risk, I think, to talk about now, like fundraising, you know, do we raise more? When do we raise more? How would we think about that? You know, stuff with more team members. Now it's harder to talk about things that maybe affect people in the team before we have a chance to really talk about it with them. And, and so we really enjoyed being very open and I want it to be the podcast to be a like a log where I think we are building a really interesting company. If we look back, I want to have that, you know, log over time but it's hard to stay on top of. And a lot of our employees have, pretty much every employee has listened to it before they joined the company. And it was a thing that helped to get them excited. So to not have that during a lot of these stages is you know, very challenging.
1: I 100% agree. Like Those conversations have come up um, where we're like, well, I wanna have this discussion, but I don't know if we can either, I don't know if we can yet because we haven't necessarily talked about it with the team or, I don't know if we should at all given that same thing with like competitors and stuff like with our main business ad reform for the longest time we didn't have really any competitors and just recently in the past I don't know year or at least we didn't notice them until the past year but we do have you know competitors now that I would say are like legitimate competitors and so now we're a little bit yeah they've taken some seed funding but I think it's yeah, we're a little bit more careful about like, I don't know, like, we'll still talk about the things we want. But like, we kind of keep it at a very, we don't necessarily because we do like a few, you know, we're always doing like different things. We don't really say like what exactly it is. Even with the new thing we're doing, like, it's not like this thing's going to be, we'll talk about that. But you know, it's not going to be a, you know, billion dollar company. It's not going to be like multi million. I don't think it'll get to that point, And that's not why we're doing it. But I think that I do worry a little bit about like putting it out there so early publicly just because there are so many, it's so easy to like copy stuff now or like, you know, hey, like Kyle and I have kids. Kyle just had a baby like, you know, a week ago or whatever. And we're not the fastest at building products, right? (laughs) Like it's just, you know, that is the way it is. And there's somebody out there that just like, you know, some kid that probably just graduated college and he could just go whip this up in like a night probably. And so yeah. I don't really want to At put it out there week. for that person to go, exactly, exactly. It's going to take us like a month, but not because it takes us that long to build. It's just because we had a lot of other things going on. So, yeah, I mean, we've run into a ton of, and I can imagine with like investors and stuff, like it does get a little bit more little hairy
0: Yeah, <laughs> in terms of what you can talk about. Where we'd want to talk about revenue or valuation or customers or, you know, more detailed sales processes or marketing methods. It's like those are all one thing when you're self-funding and bootstrapping where you can be a little bit more open and when you're in the mix of it and you, you have a highly competitive market that has more competitors in their room for and there's a lot of funding jumping around, you kind of don't, the value of it, of sharing it publicly is so small compared to the potential cost of, that being just any sort of signal to somebody else that you're thinking about something one way or the other.
1: You want to stay under the radar. There's no point in like, yeah, I totally get what you mean there. Yeah, And that's...
0: it's counterintuitive because on one hand you want to stay under the radar and you know, we can talk about, you know, our kind of niching down focus like we're going to. And on one hand, we want that decision to stay under the radar. On the other hand, we want as many people to discover it as possible. We just don't want it to bucket us, you know, or to, or not for be too early people. or yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally.
1: Yeah. And I think the other thing too is like, you're probably just, I don't know if you're working more or less than after you raised, but you probably have more people on the team. So you're probably working more and you have more responsibility over other, you know, other people's lives and things. So you, you know, you feel more responsibility to be (laughs) doing things and getting further faster. So there's probably less time to podcast. So, like, yeah, same with us. The more kids we have, the more people we have on the team. And it's just so hard to, so hard to keep up with it. It's hard to come up with topics to talk about, which is why we've started to like bring more people on because it's like, okay, we need like something fresh here. It's like always just Kyle and I talking about something. But yeah, it's just tough to keep up with it. There's always something more important. You know, we're not making money on this podcast, at least, you know, directly. I don't even think we are indirectly. But so it's just, yeah, it's like kind of a hobby. So it's sort of something that gets pushed to the back burner.
0: You did mention something interesting. I think, you know, we could go down any sort of thread. There's the like before and after funding life for us and how that intersects with obviously the podcast, but also like you said, employees or workload, et cetera, mental, emotional load. There's, you know, the changes we've made to arrows to and what those are and how we would, you know, what the strategy is behind those. There's, you mentioned my experience at Twilio. I'm happy to go down any of them.
1: Yeah, I'd love to jump into the Twilio thing only because, and I mentioned it in the email I sent you. So today is my wife's last day at Twilio. (laughs) She's been there for like, I guess like two years, I think like it was just such a crazy time to go there in the first place. You know, when she went there, I think the stock was at like, you know, $80 a share or something like that, which was great. I mean, they were probably not even public when you were there. So I joined employee 23
0: and like hired by the CEO. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Wilder ride, but yeah, so she joined at like eighty dollars, and then of course it went up to you know like in the four hundreds, and now it's back down. I don't know what it's at right now. It's, it's sad to think about, but I don't know. If, do you still hold
0: stock? Do you still have? No. no. no you, and, yeah, you
1: smartly sold it all.
0: Whoa! Well, no, I sold it far before, before it went to that.
1: So yeah, well, which was still probably smart.
0: Yeah, it's still maybe smart, but I sold it before it to next, which is I don't feel great about, but also. Yeah. <laughs> So when I joined Twilio, I was employee 23. I was the second product manager and I like dropped out of college to join. And so I was 21. It was January, 2011. So like 11 years ago, which is insane. And I just stayed there for two years. I left and there were 125 people. So 25 to 125. Now they're like 7,000. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. And when I joined, my stock was 83 cents. Share and then I think they did a split in there, like a two to one split. So, you know, probably even half of that. And then they went public and it was 15 ish, something like that. And then I sold most of mine after the lockup or, you know, in the year after the lockup in the 30 ish range, a little above, a little below. And like you said, it went above, you know, 400. And there's kind of two things in there. One, I sold a lot of that to, self-fund and work on things that eventually became arrows, And, you know, I'm fine with all that, like whatever, it would've been great. I should've probably sold it and bought a condo in Chicago. And now I live in LA and it would have, you know, been something that could have, you know, stair stepped up into maybe a, (laughs) a down payment here or something, but still happy with that. The thing I learned that's really wild is when Twilio went public, when I left, you know, a few years before they were public, I was like, you know, Amazon, AWS, or Microsoft, somebody's going to come along and buy them for $3 billion or something. That was what I thought was going to happen. I thought it was a great company, but I didn't think it was a necessarily generational independent company. Then they go public and they're public in the single digit billion dollar range. And you're like wow this is cool but okay maybe they'll double maybe they'll be over the next few years they'll go to five, seven, eight billion. there's no way they're going to crack 10. like dropbox was like valued at 8 or 10 and you're like dropbox is a way better higher growth company than twilio you know etc and so what they went public i think in 2016 something like that and over that next few years it was like kind of slow but seeing the revenue growth you're like this is crazy and like you i'd see jeff that Jeff, the CEO would, you know, tweet out their earnings report and everything right after doing it. And I was like, those numbers are insane. Like the growth rate's insane. And and it's like at this scale and they've added a ton of new products, but like the core stuff I'm sure is phone numbers, text messages, and in phone calls, like I'm sure that is the foundation of a lot of it. And then they go and buy segment and like, it's just like thing after thing where I realized, and I've learned a lot and have seen these markets now develop where you're like, these Calm things pounding, are man. huge yeah yeah, yeah.
1: It's, like i never uh, yeah. thought
0: twilio in any world could be a multi tens of billion dollar company and well, now you know I why. Think it could be it's because 300 you know it's because like you knew too figures. much yeah yeah it's because Probably. you
1: knew like you were very familiar with all of the problems right within the business and so like i feel the same way about the, the people that were there i was like i are not gonna figure it out exactly it's like yeah, you leave and you're like, they'll never, you know. But yeah, people figure stuff out. Like, it's just compounding. And if it's a large market, it just keeps going. Like, Kyle and I were at a startup called Rigger before this. And I believe we used Twilio. It was a basically like New Relic. So it was a synthetic monitoring platform. And when things went down, we would... Like, one of the things that we would do is, like, call somebody. Like, you could put a phone number in or something. But when we left, we were like... First of all, we were bootstrapping the business, so we were like, "Well, we, you know, we have to self fund this." So, like, all the problems that the business had when we left Rigger, we were just like, "I just don't know if they're going to be able." Like, I ran sales and he ran engineering, so we're like, "We were pretty important people there at the time." (laughs) At the time, and we're like, "I just don't know if they're going to figure this stuff out." Like, and we have to fund our own business anyways. Like, I would rather fund our own business than, you know. So we only bought part of our shares that we had. Then like I guess it was, I don't know, four years later or whatever, they sold to Splunk and we missed out on a lot of money.
0: <laughs> well, so because it was at Twilio, this is a similar sort of lesson, which again, like I feel fine with, and I'm sure you feel fine with yours. I hope yeah. you do. Yeah. But totally. I was friends with the Carlson brothers and all the early strike people because I was at Twilio and we got to know each other, you know, San Francisco early 2010s kind of time frame. You meet everybody pretty easily and, and we would hang out and then one day they were like trying to get me to come join. And right around the time I joined, or I was going to join, and I decided not to. I decided I was going to ride out a few more months at Tulio and leave the Bay Area. But I was like, I don't know. Stripe's like they have a huge, like you know, they have a huge road ahead of them. They're going to be big. But in my mind, again, it was like single digit billion, and they were already getting valued in the low hundreds of millions. So I was like, well. I don't know you all. I feel like I want to get somewhere earlier, and you all the ships kind of sailed. I think I told Patrick that I've probably have a chat somewhere where I was like, "I am surprised you guys raised ships so much money." <laughs> like, or like not even the not that I didn't say that, right? Like you are further more, along. That's not where I, want, yeah. I Where I want to join, like, what real problems am I going to get to come in and help solve? And it, you know, it was just as young naivety, but then you go back and you're like, oh, okay, they're like one hundred fifty billion dollar company, two hundred billion dollar company, privately, whatever it is, and they're going to be much much bigger. You are like. Well, it's not again, like about the money and on one hand, sure, that would have been nice, but it's more about the like learning and recognizing the situation. And so I think about that a lot with arrows, which is, and this is why we raised money is we're just, oh, we're in a very early category that's undeveloped, doesn't really even have a name. And what do you think it's going to look like in 10 or 15 years? And we need the time to survive through that. And if we are Twilio, in 2008 or something, 2007, what do we have to do now to build towards 2020 Twilio?
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Like I said, I feel the same way about all this. I've learned so much in the last... I mean, we're both you know, very young, right? Like in our careers. So I think the first part of my career, I was just very naive about how all this stuff worked. The impact of compounding on... A, <laughs> on a software company i think that's something i was very naive about and we've like there's been things that we've done like when i say we i'm talking about me and my wife because she's in you know SaaS startups and all that stuff as well so like we've made decisions recently or within the last couple years based on like the wrong decisions we made so many times prior to that so bad moves, and maybe we're making wrong decisions now because we're making them based on bad things that happen. And now, obviously, the markets have changed dramatically. So it's like, I don't know. I don't know what the right decision is. But yeah, it's crazy. So she's actually, I guess it's sort of like a Twilio competitor, like an upstart. It's called daily.co, but it's only audio and video APIs. So I would say more of a competitor to Agora. I guess Twilio does it too, but it's like more directly competitive to Agora. But, you know, she was just stuck.
0: <laughs> stuck in the also, middle that tool, yeah. built up like agora and daily and all these like there shouldn't have been a gap there that was stuff we talked about at twilio in 2011 that the team you know wanted to build had some prototypes for but it just was never and it's probably a lesson for all of us like if there's a big competitor who could move slightly adjacently into your market they might add that feature but it doesn't mean there's not room for you to still have a very sizable healthy business you know whatever to the size that you probably are interested in if the market well big that's enough, the thing. room for it. yeah
1: that's the thing i mean that's basically what we're talking about right it's like look how big the market is for the market that twilio is in i mean it's just it's massive like it may be bigger than what they think it is now right it, oh, it probably will be so well, and
0: they also have stair stepped and expanded it like oh it was phone calls and text messages then it's like communications infrastructure then it's like emails and then now it's segment in there and like all user com- customer, you know, touch point data and communication data. And you're like, oh, this could be Salesforce with in a different way, you know, like, and we think about that a lot too, with arrows, it's like, how do you not get distracted by what you could grow up into be you still have to be obsessive about the thing you're building today. And that has to be big I enough, know. Yeah. but then you need to kind of understand that there are angles where you can move adjacently into other stuff. If it makes sense. Totally. But Leaving we're also, yeah building a like we're trying to build a very large company like we have committed to that path effectively
1: exactly so i guess that's probably a good place to jump over to some of our other topics so with like obviously for those that don't know you guys well actually i don't know if you were bootstrapping before or i mean i assume you were bootstrapping before but at least for a little while but you decided to raise money and you just mentioned some of the reasons why i guess like not to get too deep into that cuz i heard you on multiple podcasts talk about why and you have like you know podcast? good explanations <laughs> <laughs> i mean they're all reasonable explanations so do you feel any different about that now and i guess the only reason i say that is obviously things have changed pretty dramatically like in the world and really like our space right software and the valuations and and all that jazz Do you feel any different about that? Or is it just, do you feel like it doesn't really touch you guys or any early, like it doesn't really touch the earlier stage companies at this point? I'm asking honestly, because I honestly don't
0: know. Yeah, I think we're early enough that we're not entirely insulated, but I don't think it's something I'm too concerned about. But we're also not in like a active fundraising mindset. So maybe if we were where I would feel differently. But I have friends that have raised just fine recently, even though you see VC Twitter kind of say, Oh, the market's horrible right now. Like, yeah, sure. But like, I don't know, like, I'm not too worried about it. Yeah. So today's April 29th tomorrow is one year since the day that we had $2 million show up in our bank account, which was like a brand new, you know, we had to shift from a switch from an LLC to a C Corp. So it was a brand new empty Mercury account, $0 to 2 million and one, you know, push notification. And then, you know, we had the rest of angel investors and whatnot.
1: What was the first thing you spent it on? Did you buy drinks or something? Like <laughs> I
0: went out with my my brother and some friends for champagne that night, but I don't think I put it on the company. <laughs> it was just more of a celebratory thing. We did turn on payroll for ourselves. So back to the bootstrap thing. There we just Benedict and I, my co-founder, two days ago had our like Gusto one year anniversary, but it was like the one year since we were put into the system and set up as employees of a C corp. We were not, you know, we were. Part owners in an LLC before that wasn't making enough money to pay ourselves, or we weren't, you know, pulling any cash out of it. Then before that, all of our money was from consulting, like design and development consulting, and so we were bootstrapping till then. And so, on the one hand, like feel awesome about it because I have had a salary the last year that's been good, and and it's given us a lot of space to make the right what we believe are the right decisions instead of the short term decisions of. How do we get money tomorrow? One year ago, we were probably building what we now believe is a product that's like slightly wrong. We're building the same product now, just we've deleted part of it, a big part of it, and now shifted to be more of like a integration-heavy product. And we wouldn't have maybe had the confidence or the ability to make that decision without the funding. On the other hand, like, yeah, we are, you know, burning more cash every month than we make, but that's like the playbook. So I think like the thing that If anything, we still struggle with the fully leaning into being a VC funded company instead of still having one foot and being like slightly bootstrapper minded. You know, if anything, we haven't fully shed that identity or that like way of thinking about things.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I think you like, I'd imagine if we ever raise, which I think if we ever do like, when I say our main thing, if we ever do a different main thing, I think we probably will raise. I don't know, unless I get, you know, millions of dollars somehow like, (laughs) Between that time, but I think we probably would raise, this given like some of the different options now, and not having to go through that two-year period of death. <laughs> and building upon you know, that, where you're think, not paying yourself
0: from a personal finance standpoint and a company standpoint. I did finally, I think, shedding the oh, I have to be a self-funder that owns 100% of my company or whatever. Me, my partner have to own 100%. I think I ripped that band-aid off, and now I'm with you. I'm like, I'd probably raise almost immediately. Or I'd go do some small testing and then raise some amount of money. Like if you're gonna put all of your time or the majority of your time into it, don't also risk all of your you know, financial health or a lot of it. You know, I wish I would have taken that Twilio of money, for example, and not put it into my own projects. I wish I would have Angel Invested or, you know, like I mentioned, bought a condo or something, instead of like effectively burning all of that and then later like raising funding it would have been more prudent, maybe personally to not do that. And I think you're right. There's enough options now that you can consider other routes and the markets are all big enough that like it should be fine. And, or the market, the funding market is resilient enough to withstand your possible failure, but maybe us individually, we're not as resilient for that. Like we shouldn't be taking that risk.
1: Yeah. And I think the way it used to be is that you didn't really have the, like, it was very much like you either take it and like, you're going that path. Like that is the path or you don't take it at all. Now I think there are some like middle ground areas or at least areas where you can take it and then still have the optionality to go more the VC, you know, faster growth path or just kind of
0: stay as is. Our funding's all on a safe note. So like technically it's pretty flexible. Like our valuation's high, the cap is high. You know, we wouldn't necessarily want to have it be a smaller business for that. And we're not interested in that, but like, if ultimately we just realized this market doesn't exist and we're a $3 million a year revenue business, like, okay, that's where we are. You know, we would not be forced to, we are in control fully of the company. You know, there's no, but like actually some of the bootstrapped minded funding mechanisms would have been worse for our situation than the ones that we took. Yeah, I was looking through that, the
1: blog and like all the different folks that you had. I forgot how many it was, but it looked like maybe 30 ish or something yeah 30 different people 50 yeah yeah. 50 yeah so not only was it a lot of people but it was a lot of like what i would consider like pretty high profile operators like software company ceos and founders and whatnot where'd you meet all those people did you just reach out to those people or did you meet them did you work with them in the past in some way
0: Yeah. So like Jeff Lawson, CEO of Twilio, worked with him, just texted him a bunch until, you know, like, oh, I know you're busy, but like, come on, Jeff, like, come on. Like I saw him a couple years ago and he kind of knew what we were up to and just like, please give us money. I want you in, you know, like it's important to me. Justin Howard, who's the CEO and founder of Sprout Social, like we knew each other when we were just going to each other's meetups in Chicago in 2009, 2010. Now it turns out he runs a multi-billion dollar, public company and we'd see each other every now and then. So kind of, he knew what we were up to and hit him up. And then on down the list, it's a bunch of people that I knew just over the years or kind of got to know, or people I did client projects with, you know, a couple of the guys that were former Twitter or Obama foundation or Obama white house type people I'd done projects with. And then there's a few that were just introductions, you know, other founders that introduced from our VCs or other founders, but that was the minority And then, you know, down the list, there's like kind of lesser known, really known in our world, but lesser, like big scale founders, you know, other kind of indie bootstrap type founders. And a lot of those people we were able to just, we built up a relationship with and they wanted in and we did an AngelList RUV, like a roll-up vehicle. So we could get in people at 1K and up. So we had a lot of 1 to 10K checks from friends of ours, you know, like you called out our parents might have been ex-parents put in like a few grand each you know neither of our parents are like they're you know solidly middle class and like you know but they wanted to kind of be along for the ride and make a bet on you know believing in us we send them our monthly investor updates like we do everybody else which is really fun but it's really they never reply yeah that's awesome it's funny though the angel investor thing is like some are really impactful and a lot just kind of get the updates and You know, you really have to pull stuff out of those people when you need it. They're kind of like along for the ride and generally trust that things are going well. But but a lot of them, you know, that's the challenge, I think, with operators. I hate that term, but, you know, especially the busy ones, they don't have a lot of time to give us. Occasionally, you know, like we got on a call with the Trello CEO and, you know, he helped us like think through product development a few months ago and that was his offer. And, you know, at one time a year, like that's pretty amazing to have that sort of like nudge in the right direction or we were second guessing the thing we wanted to focus on or we thought we should focus on and some anecdotes from him about how they were dealing with similar challenges at Trello, you know, even with the maturity that they are made us feel like, okay, we're not in the, we, you know, we're not lost in the woods here. Like this is a common problem and this is how they deal with it.
1: Yeah. I like the idea of having like, in some ways having more people, I think there's like maybe a legacy negative connotation of that, but, I don't know that it would necessarily be a bad thing, especially if those people are, you know, people that are doing what you're doing, like operators. I like the idea of having like other founders and stuff, you know, sort of being a part of the team, even if they're not always super engaged. You know, if you're sending enough updates or whatever, and those updates always have sort of an ask or like a big problem that you have or something like eventually, like one of them is going to be like, oh, yeah, I dealt with that. Let me just chime in here, (laughs) you know. So I think that's probably, I don't know, that's something that we would, I think we would probably consider down the line. I think that would be pretty cool, but.
0: It's nice. The one thing like, yeah, just you realize none of them have any answers for you. You know, none of them have, they can just give you input. You know, it's like, nobody has any idea. They're not thinking about it as much as we are. Mm -hmm. In some ways that's helpful, like as come with fresh eyes, but often like, unless they think about the problem, there's going to give you kind of they are experienced with a similar thing. And it's very, very challenging, I think, to have like truly impactful, you know, you can still talk to too many people or get too many. Like I know people on that list, if I told them about doing X or Y, like what they would probably say generally. Yeah, they'd say no.
1: Yeah, like don't do that. Do that. Yeah, yep. That's some of the like when we were considering raising, I mean, we got pretty, like we got close, like we had like term sheets. So these were like, you know, we were close. And some of the people that- Yeah, some of the people, it's almost like I would know how they would respond in most situations to most decisions or things. And it's like, that's not really like, how we do things. And I don't think we're aiming as high, like, some of them are people that just did these like insane, you know, like, 10s of billions of dollar type businesses that they built, right? And it's like, I don't even know what that is like I'm not my mind is not there I'm just trying to build I'm trying to get to the next you know I'm trying to get to a million I'm trying to get to five like I'm just trying to get there we'll see where we're at when we get there but when I think sometimes like someone going through experience like that it's like some of the things that you're worried about like they just aren't gonna be on the same page I think
0: you do mention an interesting thing which is like you shouldn't probably work with people who are too far beyond the stage that you're at you know yeah or should take that advice with a grain of salt, because, you know, where we're at is, yeah, we're trying to get to the, you know, in the millions, like that's where we don't, we see the path in a route to it being a multi-billion dollar company. And I think, you know, our VCs want that. And we think that there's a reality where we hit that, but we can't build in that way yet because you just don't have, you're not there yet. You can't even do it. You can kind of check that there's a path there and you're not totally closing it off, but rarely I think it do have the ability to predict how you would even get there.
1: Yeah, something I've noticed recently, or at least like, it just sort of like, I don't know, came to me in my thoughts or whatever. But in all the experiences that I've had, and including the current experience with ad reform and some of the other products that we've built, we've always hit like, walls, I've hit them at different times with different businesses. But you can feel it when you hit a wall, like when you hit sort of like, I mean, you see it most in like the revenue, but like you hit this wall and you've got to figure out how to get, like you have to figure out how to get over that that big step right there, that wall. And sometimes you can't or like it's just not going to be worth it. And sometimes you can, it is worth it. And then you go for a while until you get to the next wall. I remember with our, Kyle and I's previous company that we were at, we hit all these, like we started hitting a wall and we hit all, it was like a bunch of these specific problems in different areas of the business And my wife was at another company that was growing much faster than us. And I don't remember what we were at. We were at a couple million in revenue or something. And they were at like 10 million, 15 million in revenue or something like that. But like we hit those problems. And she didn't really understand. I'm like, you don't understand. Like this is like, it's different. Like, well, and then like. You know, another year later, when they were at like 20 million, they hit the exact same problems. It was just a different time in the business and they raised a bunch of money. So it was like, I don't know how to equate them, but they were the same kind of problems, but just at different times in the business. But they were like big walls and like difficult to get over. I think you have to figure out how to get, like, you're going to hit those and you got to figure out how to get past them. But like, if you're thinking so much further down the road, like past all those, like you just can't do that because you're gonna hit those. And it takes all of your concentration and like effort and your team to like get over those really difficult humps. And that may and be an easy a thing to
0: business on the other end of it. Like you are maybe yeah. In some Yeah. Like maybe exactly. not entirely, could but you might be, you know, before your sales led, now your product led or whatever, some fundamental yeah. change is different. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like it could be like a big like you have to take a big turn, a big pivot, or it could just be I mean, it could be like a team within the business or a person that's wrong. Like, I don't know what it is, but I just know that I've experienced hitting those walls and it's very apparent. You're like, okay. And you get stuck in them for a while. You're like, okay, we're like, we've hit this wall and we've been here for like six months. Like what's happening right now? Like, what do we have to do? Like, and so you just keep trying different things to get past that. But if you, yeah, like if you look too far down the road, you're just gonna, it's just not gonna work because you're going to hit those walls.
0: So to make that specific, you know, let's talk about, you wanted to talk about arrows and our kind of niche-ish focus right now, or it's very niche, but it's not in the way that I think a bootstrapper might look at it and think of it. It's like a more of a purposeful strategy for later high growth. So we had a wall for probably six months where we're just like this, you know, some companies come in, you know, you did a demo, your team did a demo. It's like, This is interesting but it's just like not totally clicking in the way that we expect a tool like this to you know we want people to see it and be like give me that right now and occasionally that would happen but it wasn't enough that we were like we can build upon this so we didn't even have a lot of confidence like there was 20 different things we could build and what we kept looking around was like well we could we're you know customer facing onboarding plan but to be that we built this whole internal platform you know it wasn't that comprehensive but there's an internal dashboard and all this stuff to manage those plans. And what we realized after a while was, like, well, we really want to spend a lot more time and we're focused and obsessed about making the customer facing onboarding experience amazing, where like that is just drives people to take action. You're excited to share it because it makes you look good, et cetera. So we want to spend all of our time obsessing over that. But when we looked at the internal part of the product, you know, we kept hitting these walls and it was like, well, People also want more out of this and expect more out of this functionality here. They want us to let them do automations and workflows and edit the emails and all this crap. And then they want integrations with their CRM and where other customer sources of truth. And what we finally clicked with was, what if we delete the dashboard? Like, let's just delete the internal part of the product and make the product just entirely effectively the customer-facing onboarding plan and then the connections to the integrations with other platforms. And we just went through that transition over the last two months and deleted the dashboard and then now are focused on HubSpot first. And that's part of it, you know, so we're like, okay, let's actually prove that if you're a HubSpot customer or HubSpot user for the CRM and you are at all inclined to do onboarding in there or you already are, is the core of this product so obvious that you're like tripping over yourself to get into it and set it up and start going? And Even in that time, we haven't updated the customer facing UI very much. Like, we actually have a design full refresh of that that's going to come in like two months or so. And that will, like, then be another new, you know, jump and improvement for us. But just this sort of deleting the internal product and being like, this is a thing, customer facing plans that attach to your CRM object and your internal workflow and all the automations and emails and Kanban board and, you know, pipeline view of where your deals are that's all in your CRM. We don't have to build all that. The CRM already does that. We can obsess over the customer facing plan and we push Arrow's data back into it. But immediately, like it's unlocked a new amount of momentum and energy where customers are like seeing it, clicking with it faster and like, you know, diving it. But it was a painful period where we are like, it felt very scary. And that was, you know, we're going to delete part of the product. What do you do with the existing customers that are on that version of the product? And you know, we're still going through that transition, but it is that sort of thing where we are now a, roughly the same, but also in a lot of ways, a very different company and product on the other end of it. And like, we have to, I think what a lot of people on our team didn't realize now going through that transition, they're like, okay, well let's just keep doing sales the same way or message. It's like, no, every decision that you had done before has to like kind of be rethought through. Like what is the sales process of this product versus the old version? It's like, it might be roughly the same, but you actually have to think through it from like day one again. Like how does, you know, are we in the marketplace? Are people coming from that? Can we expect HubSpot Marketplace to send us people? How do we message it? Do we do ads? Do we do webinars? Do we, et cetera. So it's one of those things I think you're very right and onto something where, you know, at some point down the line, we'll then launch Salesforce and every other platform. We might allow you to connect plans to multiple platforms. We might, we're leaning into much more of a self-serve like product-led model or sales assess type model that might fail, that might succeed. That might be, you know, there's a lot of ways that we will have to probably rethink functions of the business later. I think it's a very interesting, a point that like, if we are thinking about all the ways that we would scale this in three years, mm-hmm. that we wouldn't have even gotten past it because this fundamental problem that we think we've at least unlocked or cracked in a small way.
1: Totally. So you guys are, yeah, I went through the site. A little Well, I reached out to you and I was like, oh, seems like, because I remember when we got the demo, there wasn't any specific, it wasn't tailored towards any specific CRM or anything. Obviously, you know, now it seems like it is. Well, it definitely is. You guys have integrated it quite a bit. Yeah. So I also noticed that I know you have a blog and you've got a bunch of, it looks like you guys have been pumping out a bunch of content. But I also noticed like the resources page is essentially like a bunch of, like guides and templates, some of which are focused on HubSpot, some are more focused on like onboarding and things like that. And then you have like an email course and that you link to that quite a bit in different places, including your signature, your email signature. <laughs> so, because I talked to somebody else where that was like a big kind of marketing strategy for them is to basically, you know, create these, what do they call it, like marketing assets, like guides and things like that, and even like advertise to those guides and start to, capture those leads is that the strategy moving forward in terms of like the marketing you said you guys are going to try to go a little bit more like product led but like what are some of the different channels that you guys are focused on right now from a marketing perspective i imagine that's changed quite a bit recently
0: it's changing for sure i mean we had a slow period also going through this transition because it was hard to sell the new version (laughs) yeah yeah so that was tough but we've always been very educationally driven but it was about onboarding Broadly and customer success broadly before. The thing that we've now shifted that we think is really cool, especially being so specific on another platform, is that we can target different personas in the company and we can also target content that is, you know, like Ahrefs, the SEO tool. Like if you go to their blog, a lot of the educational stuff is around how to do SEO things and, you know, basic, intermediate, advanced levels. And then they use Ahrefs as the example for much of those steps. We've found a similar thing starting to work for us right now, which is, you know, here's how to run, you know, your onboarding process out of HubSpot. It's like that doesn't really have to do with arrows. That's like something that we think generally most companies, if you're using HubSpot as a sales CRM, you'd probably want onboarding in there and you don't want another platform. It's actually, there's way more benefits to having it in there than any of the limitations of a platform. What we can do by giving them, that permission and that educational content around that is then also start introducing arrows functionality in there. So when you get to step four, you go, oh, that's pretty cool. I can make a customer facing plan that corresponds to this internal pipeline that, you know, and then we can show them how to set up a dashboard that shows the progress of deals moving through that pipeline. And then we can show them how arrows data pushes into that pipeline and can enrich that dashboard with more data. So it starts being like, we've started thinking of people who are good customers of Arrows being on one of multiple stages of onboarding maturity or like, you know, step one is like you are doing nothing or you send emails or whatever. And step two is maybe you're sending a Notion doc or you've, you know, some sort of process, but it's not in a specialty tool. Step three is you're like looking for, you know, doing it in your CRM or it's a specialty tool or something else. And then, you know, keep going up. We are trying to get people through content and educational materials in our weekly newsletter and all that to basically increase their level of which stage they're at until they're like more at the point in time where they can actually utilize the value the arrows gives. So we'd rather give you templates that are in Notion or in Airtable or in a Google Doc that serve that job for you if you're only at level one or two until you start feeling the effects of that. And then we're saying, hey, run this process in the HubSpot pipeline. Now you hopefully have an ops person that can help you set that up or a revenue leader who's like interested in having more visibility into the data of what's happening in onboarding, you know? So there's, the organization has to be ready for that. And we realize that we'd rather be helpful and guide people through that journey, even if that takes longer. That's the reason back to why we raise money. is like, people do not make this decision very quickly. It takes them a while to develop into being ready for something like Eros.
1: Right. It's like the content version of like a, pared down free tool you know version of whatever you do right it's like okay here's like the most basic you know free version or whatever and once you're hitting the limits of this which you will you know at that point we've got something that you can use when we were running user feed that's kind of what we did like we got the majority of our leads and customers from intercom's app store but we started putting out content that was basically like what we be called intercom templates. So we realized that there was like all sorts of things that, well, we realized it because because we just started doing it. But we did so many different things with intercom that like we realized weren't normal things to be doing with intercom. But we kind of wanted to run everything out of intercom. So we would do weird stuff like we would do like our feature flagging out of intercom, right? So like we would like attach like a feature flag to a tag, an intercom, and then we would like, you know, tag a user or tag a company and it would flip it on for them. Right. But we did tons of different things like that. And so we would, we're like, well, we're doing these things. Like, I guess anybody else could do these things. So we started to kind of create these intercom templates, some of which literally had absolutely nothing to do with our product (laughs) at all. And then some of which of course did have something, you know, you could fit in user feed into that template, but we just started just knocking out as many of these as possible. And started to build up like a nice little list of people that, you know, we're kind of subscribing to it. I still get I'm like, we don't own the business anymore. Literally this week, I got somebody reached out to me and was like, hey, I was reading your intercom blogs. Do you do intercom consulting? Like, do you do like <laughs> intercom consulting work? And I was like, maybe how much? <laughs> like, What are we talking here? But yeah, so like, that's exactly what we did. I don't think we really had a great way or we didn't do a good job of like getting that content in front of people. It was kind of just there on our blog. We didn't do a good job of getting in front of people. We didn't do a great job of capturing those people, or at least getting attribution on, you know, what was happening after they saw those blogs. But that was basically the strategy that we took. I think it worked pretty well. Although I wish we would have gotten a little bit more data on that.
0: I mean that's what it feels it's like what is somebody who uses HubSpot or uses you know, we'll do intercom someday. We'll do Salesforce, we'll add all these. And what is the ops person or the admin person or what are the people in it trying to do that is adjacent to stuff that arrows help solve or maybe like you mentioned not adjacent, but at least those people might be interested in also. Cause it's really just we want to be helpful first. And then, you know, when the time is right and they need a tool like ours, they have awareness and we have some mind share and they think of us as having been generous up front. And then when the timing's right, they can start sending, you know, onboarding plans. And there's, you know, out of our product. But the strategy is going to shift even more in the next few months as we redesign and change some of the product. Yeah, absolutely. This was awesome.
1: We didn't even get to half the stuff that we were going to talk about, which means we were, you know, stuck in a bunch of other conversations, which is good. So, yeah, maybe we'll get you on again. And either way, we should definitely chat some time offline. I know you guys are starting to build on a platform and we've been there. We're about to jump back into that boat a little bit with the new thing. So, We'd love to chat some other time about that as well.
0: Yeah, it'd be great to share notes and, you know, catch up with us in, you know, three, four months. And hopefully you'll see some really cool stuff with Arrows that I think you'll, as you as a company that was considering Arrows, I think would be excited to see.
1: Yeah, for sure. We use HubSpot, so that definitely works a little bit better for us. So where can people, lastly, I'll just say this before we jump off. So it's arrows.to? Yes, that's
0: Correct. right. And then daniel zarek for me z-a-r-i-c-k
1: on twitter awesome awesome well thanks for jumping on and yeah we'll talk soon
0: yeah thanks landon all right See see ya